0: This morning's message is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7, if you care to follow along in your Bibles. The title for the message this morning, Loving Via Dying. 1st Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 to 7 and the word of God says this to us this morning love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Father, we pray. Pray that as we prepare mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to walk through this incredibly important passage of Scripture. For we know that the two great commandments are about love love for you and love for people. And our Lord Savior taught us that the whole of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And now we have here in your word an explanation of what love means, of what it looks like. So Father, I pray that as we walk through these uh, 15 different aspects of love, Lord, I pray that you would by your Holy Spirit, enable us to to take this passage to heart. I know that personally, as I spent time preparing for this message and digging deep into this passage, I personally was very convicted, Lord God. I pray that that would be the same for everyone here, but Lord, I pray that this conviction would not be short-lived. That we would not... Leave from this place and take what we've learned from your word and simply put it up on our intellectual shelf for later reference. Father, I know that my prayer is that this church would be a church of love. Love for you supremely, love for one another and love for the lost. And I pray that you would help us to take the message from your Apostle Paul, Lord God, and apply it to our lives. I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would enable us, you would cause us, you would give us the desire to live this out for your glory, for your praise, in light of all that you have done for us. And Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week... If you recall, we, uh, we talked about uh, how love must be preeminent in the Christian life. We talked about the fact that a person, when we went through uh, verses 1 to 4, we talked about the fact that a person can be extremely gifted. A Christian can be an extremely hard worker when it comes to doing things for the church, when it comes to doing things for other people. A person can be extremely self-sacrificing, even to the point of sacrificing their own, their own life to give their lives, to deliver up their bodies uh, to be burned, as Paul talked about in verse 3. But if all of that is not driven by the right reason, if all of that does not have the right motivation behind it, if all of that is not driven by love, love for God, primarily love for God, and love for people, then at best, at best, You will be extremely limited in your usefulness to God and in your usefulness to the church. And at worst, you will gain nothing. Which means, as we discovered last week, you're not even saved. You are doing all of these work, effort, law-keeping for the wrong reasons if all a person's efforts for the church and for others is not driven by love but instead is driven by selfish self-centered reasons that person will end up like the folks that Jesus warned us about in Matthew chapter 7 those who will come to him on the last day and say Lord Lord look what we've done in your name Look at all of the work that I've done in your name and for your church. Look at all of the things that I sacrificed in life. Look at all of the time I sacrificed. Look at all of the energy I sacrificed. Look at all of the money that I sacrificed for your church and for your name. And if all of that was not driven by love, Jesus will say to them, I don't know you. I've never known you. I don't know who you are. My friends, that warning that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter seven should jar every single one of us. It should jar us. It should frighten us. It's intended to frighten those who heard the words of Christ. And it should compel us. The words of Christ should compel us not to work harder, not to do more, not to sacrifice more, but to pray, to pray more. To cry out to God and say, God, please don't let me be one of those to cry out to God and say, God, please give me a heart that loves you supremely, that loves you with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul. Please give me a heart that truly loves people. Because as Paul said last week, without love, we gain, we gain nothing. That should be the prayer for ourselves. That should be the prayer for each other. And that should be the prayer for our church. I know that many of you pray often for our church, and I do as well, for Grace Reformed Church. And I hope that what you pray for most when you pray for this church is that we would be a church that is defined... By love. Love for God. Love for each other. Love for his truth. Love for his word. And love for the lost. Because a church without love, a church without love will become a bastion of cold, hard, lifeless legalism. And that's not what God wants. That is not what God wants. This is why the Bible has so much to say about love. So much to say about love. I was astounded as I prepared for this message. Did you know that the word love appears in some form in the Bible some 774 times? Almost half of that... 300 times, almost half of that occurs in the New Testament alone. Love, love is a big deal to God. Let me read you just a sampling of those verses from the New Testament. You don't have to follow along in your Bibles. I'm not going to comment on any of these. I just want to I want to read a series, just a sampling of these passages that I came across um, and just string them all together for you in your mind, I mean, you may want to jot them down and meditate on them later, but let me just read these to you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Luke chapter 11, verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. John chapter 12, verse 27, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life that is, whoever dies to self, in this world will keep it. John 15, verses 9 to 13, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5.8 God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 12 verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Let all that you do be done in love. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. These, this is just a snapshot just a snapshot of the many, many, many verses I came across in the Bible that tell us that what God wants to see in us more than anything is love. That's, that's what God wants. Love for Him. Love for each other. And love for the lost. Thus, toward that end, Paul needs to define love, right? What is it? He's already told us that all of the works that we do, whatever gifts we have, whatever abilities we have, it's all meaningless without love. But what is love? How do we define love? Love. How do we understand it? Because whatever love is, however we define love or however we understand it, it must be the same in every context. Love for God, love for people, the two great commandments. Well, what is love? What does love look like toward God? What does love look like toward one another? And God must be the one who defines love. Because if you ask 10 different people to define love or give a definition of it, you're likely to get 10 different answers. So then what is love? Here in these four verses, Paul will give us 15, 15 different attributes of love. And unfortunately, I don't have the time to go into great detail on each of them, but I, we are going to touch on each of these. However, even though Paul lists 15 different attributes of love, they are all interconnected by one uniting theme. That is, there is one thing that all of these aspects of love share in common. One thing that ties them all together. And that is this. Dying to self. Dying to self. In the end, what we'll see is that all of these various aspects of love stem from dying to self. In other words, if verses 4 to 7 were all on one side of the coin, on the other side of the coin would be the phrase, die to self. because being focused on yourself being self-centered pride will always short circuit your ability to fully love god and to fully love people pride gets in the way of that and so what does paul say about this the first thing he says is that love is patient love is patient Two things I want to note about this. First of all, the Greek word for patience is the word uh, makrathumeo, and uh, it's it's interesting because it literally means it literally means to suffer for a long period of time, to suffer long. Here is where I think the New King James Version and the Old King James Version nails the translation better than the ESV or the New American Standard. Because they say love suffers long. And that's true. Love enables us to endure difficult people or difficult circumstances for extended periods of time. Without losing your calm. Without losing your joy. Without losing your patience. And is the evidence. It is the evidence of the Holy Spirit, right? When Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit and is rooted in a deep understanding and appreciation of the patience of God as he displays toward us. In other words, love is patient because God is love. And God is is extremely patient. It can sometimes be difficult to think of God as being long-suffering when we read the Old Testament. We read about the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah and um, all the horrible events that take place, the Babylonian captivity, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which was a horrific event. But let's not forget that from Adam to the flood is about 2,000 years. 2,000 years from Adam to the flood. From the Exodus, the time of Moses, to the time of the Babylonian captivity, is about 1,000 years. From Christ until now is 2,000 years. We look out at the world and we see all the evil that exists today and we can oftentimes wonder, why does God put up with us? Why does he tolerate such evil in the world? Because God is love. Which means that God is patient. Which means that God suffers long. But how do we do this? How can we love people patiently and suffer long? By dying to self by dying to self a reason we often struggle to be patient with others as we know that we should be is because of pride because pride is what? how do we define pride? pride is simply this pride is wanting to be made much of that's what pride is it is wanting to be made much of. This means that pride can manifest itself in very different ways. Sometimes it is subtle and difficult to detect. Because when we think about pride and we think about prideful people, we oftentimes think of those people that are outspoken, they are, they are um, pompous, they are braggadocious, they are argumentative. These are prideful individuals. But even people who go around moping, who just seem to always be struggling with something in life, you know the kind of people that I'm referring to, the ones that everyone in the church always seems to be concerned about, everyone always seems to be worried about them, everyone always seems to be feeling the pressure to reach out to them, to minister to them, to care about them, because there is just something always going wrong in this person's life life with those individuals it is sometimes the case that it is because they want to draw attention to themselves they want to be made much of by other people it's pride because that's what pride is pride is wanting to be made much of Thus, when we struggle with pride, when we want to be made much of, we tend to be less patient with others because we want them to make much of us. It's about me, not you. We want them to put... Our needs first. We want them to put our time first. We want them to put our schedule ahead of their schedule. Thus being patient with others is about dying to self. It's not about me. It's not about my time. It's not about my schedule. It's not about making much of me. It's about making much of you. It's about your needs. It's about your time. It's about your schedule. You know, this can even be true when it comes to God. We can be impatient with God because of pride. It is possible to be impatient with God. To be impatient with his will for our lives. We find ourselves suddenly unemployed through no fault of our own. And we become impatient with God as the weeks turn into months and we simply cannot find the job we are looking for, or we find ourselves in a crummy job that we simply do not like, we can become impatient with God. This is because subconsciously we believe that God should make much of us. God should make much of us. It's about me. It's about what I want. Pride, right? But instead, it should be about what God wants. It should be about His will. Thus, love, to be patient, means dying to self. Paul then says love is kind. Love is kind. But what is kindness? How do we... Define that. What does it mean to be kind? Well, the Greek word that Paul uses is the Greek word um, kerus, keristuomai. It's an interesting word, keristuomai. In the classic Greek literature, we find that it oftentimes uh, denotes usefulness. And hence, what appeared useful, that which appears useful or good, when it's used as a noun, it means a friendly nature, a friendly nature or Kindness is what the word means. For this reason, Thomas Goodwin, the 17th century English Puritan theologian, said, quote, Kindness implies all sweetness and all candidness and all friendliness and all heartiness and all goodness. Thus, when Scripture says that love is kind, It means that love is the sweetness, the friendliness, and the goodness of God, which flows forth from the indwelling Holy Spirit and is displayed toward others through our disposition, through our words, and through our behavior. But again, this flows out of dying to self which is another way of describing humility. Humility is dying to self. Being humble is not about having low self-esteem. It's not about thinking that you are unimportant. Humility is not wanting to be made much of, but instead wanting to make much of others and to make much of God. And we do this When we die to ourselves. When we no longer want others to make much of us, but instead we want to make much of others. We will begin to treat people with kindness. We will begin to truly love them. If we can die to ourselves, Love does not envy. When others are blessed... When things just always seem to go right for other people. You've known people like that, right? It just seems like everything they do, every decision they make just seems to go right for them. And nothing seems to go right for us, for you. Love does not envy that. Because love springs forth from dying to self. And when we die to self, we do not want to be made much of. We want others to be made much of. We want God to make much of them. And not not us. Not me. And so love says, yes, good for you. I am so glad that you were blessed with that thing or that car or that job. I am so glad that that worked out for you. I am so glad that God blessed you in that way. And it doesn't matter that I haven't been blessed in the same way that you have been blessed because it's not about me. It's about you. I want God to bless you. I want God to make much of you. It's about making much of God and the good things that he is doing in the lives of those around us and it is about making much of you and of each other. Thus love does not envy what others have because love is about dying to self. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant. These two are really two peas in a pod, uh, boasting and being arrogant. But I do, again, once again, I love the New King James Version here. Love does not parade itself. That's a great translation. Love does not parade itself. Love does not say, hey, look at me. Look how awesome I am. Look how gifted I am. Look how smart I am. Look how much I give to the church. Look how much I sacrifice to the church. Look at all that I do for people. Again, this is because love is about dying to self. Love says it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you. And this is because this is the love of God. This is the love of God that was demonstrated for us. We just read a few minutes ago in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Scripture says, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we are still cursing at God, shaking our fist at God, saying, Stay out of my life! Christ died for us. Christ did not look out at the mass of humanity and say to himself, I'm not going to go down there and die for them. They brought this on themselves. This is their problem. I like where I am, seated in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, being worshipped by the angels day in and day out. Jesus does not say that. Instead, he says, it's not about me, it's about them. It's about what they need. They need a savior. They need someone to keep the law for them. They need someone to pay the penalty for their sins. And he was willing to die to himself in the sense that he was willing to die himself because that is what love does. Verse 5, Paul says, love is not rude and does not insist on its own way. That really is what rudeness is, right? People who are rude always have to have things their way, right? They always have to have things their way. They interrupt conversations because they insist that their voice needs to be heard, not yours. They talk over you when you're trying to say something because they insist that what they have to say is more important than what you have to say. They will not be corrected. They will not be rebuked. They will not listen to advice because they insist that their way is right. They will not hold the door open for anyone else because first of all, it's ridiculous that they even have to hold the door open. Shouldn't other people be holding the door for me? They insist in having the best seat at the table or the best seat in the car because they are more important than everyone else. But love does not behave that way. Love is not rude and does not insist on its own way because love is dying to self Love is quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to react. Not just because love enables a person to control his tongue, but because love is more interested in what you have to say and not in just talking about myself. Love says it's about making much of you. I want to know about you. I want to hear what you have to say. More than I want to hear my own voice. Love is not irritable. It's not easily irritated. And this really goes hand in hand with patience. Love is not easily irritated with people. and You know the kind of people that I'm talking about. The kind of people who show up at your door at 8 o'clock at night, unannounced, didn't call, didn't text, because I just wanted to drop in and visit with you. Seriously? The kind of person who starts his chainsaw at 6 o'clock in the morning to chop down that tree right next to your bedroom window on a Saturday morning. That kind of person. The kind of person... Who knows that you didn't get the last piece of your favorite cake last night. But since you're still asleep, well, I'll just eat it for them. Those kind of people. You know the kind of people that I'm talking about. Love is not easily irritated. Because love says, I am so glad that you thought to pay me a visit. I am so glad you thought of me. I'm about to put the kids to bed, but if you'll just have a seat in the living room, I'll come right back out and we can visit. Love says, I am so thankful that my neighbor finally got around to cutting down that dead tree outside of my bedroom window before it fell on my roof. (laughs) And I am so thankful that he decided to do it at six in the morning and not five in the morning. I got another hour of sleep. Love says, I am so glad you got to enjoy that last piece of cake. I'm sure I'll get to enjoy it the next time it's made and there will be another time. Now, I'm not talking about just going through life having a Pollyanna attitude (laughs) and always just trying to find the best in everything. What I am saying is that love is not irritated When others put themselves first because the loving person wants you to be first. They're not irritated when you put yourself first because I want you to be first. Because love is dying to self. You know, it's it's amazing when you think about the irony of that, right? We know that. That the the first will be last and the last will be first. We talk about how we want to put other people first and then people put themselves first and we're annoyed by it. Because we talk about it, but you're not supposed to actually do it. Love is not easily irritated when people put themselves first. Love is not easily irritated when people make much of themselves because I want to make much of you and not make much of myself love is not resentful here I appreciate the NIV translation I think they capture the essence of what Paul is saying quite nicely love keeps no record of wrongs love is not resentful it doesn't resent people perpetually When someone wrongs you, and that person comes to you and asks for forgiveness, love forgives and forgets. Because this is what God does. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, when talking about the new covenant community that Christ would inaugurate with his own blood, by the way, I'll remind you of that. We are a part of the new covenant community because of Christ's death on the cross. And in talking about that new covenant community that Christ would establish with his his own death, Scripture, God says this, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Listen, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that glorious? Hallelujah. God does not remember your sins. He holds no record of wrong. And can we honestly say that there is anyone out there who has sinned against us more times or in a more grievous way than we have sinned against God? But what if that person keeps sinning against you and keeps coming to you The same sin over and over and over again. If you've been married as long as I have, you know what I'm talking about. And they come to you about the same sin, the same thing they keep messing up over and over again, and they say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. What then? Recall the words of Christ from Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. If your brother sins, rebuke him. We're called to correct people. We don't overlook sin. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, the same day, seven times in a day, and turns to you seven times in the same day, saying, I repent. Listen, Jesus says, you must forgive. Notice Jesus did not say, make him fulfill certain requirements in order to demonstrate true repentance to you. <laughs> no he says if he repents forgive him and even if he sins against you seven times in the same day and comes to you seven times and says i am sorry please forgive me jesus says you this is a quote you must forgive but what of those who don't ask for forgiveness On the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed for their forgiveness on the cross. Why? They weren't asking for forgiveness. They certainly didn't deserve forgiveness. Because that's what love does. Love always stands ready to forgive because love is about dying to self. Love says, it's not about me. It's not about my rights that have been violated. It's not about me being mistreated or slandered against. It's not about me being treated unfairly. It's about restoring the relationship. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about forgiving you. It's about making much of you. And making much of God. Love is dying to self. Verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, love does not say, Yay! You're moving in with your boyfriend. Hopefully marriage will follow soon after, but I am... Happy for you. No, love says, let me tell you lovingly what the Bible says about what you're doing. Love does not say, you know, getting an abortion is probably the right choice at this point because you are way too young to be a mother. No, love says, I love you and I care about you. So I'm going to share with you what the Bible says about where life is. Begins. Love also does not delight in watching evil on television or looking at evil on the internet. Love does not laugh at crude jokes or off-color jokes. Love rejoices in the truth. The truth. Love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice or take delight in wrong Doing. Verse seven: Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure, <clears throat> endures all things. Love bears all things and endures all things are basically synonymous and go hand in hand with long suffering. In other words, love puts up with a lot. Love endures. A lot. It bears a lot. Love believes all things. This does not mean that love is naive. It's not what Paul means. It means that love gives those whom it loves the benefit of the doubt. In other words, when someone does something or says something, and you've probably all been here before, says something or does something that hurts you. You find it hurtful, or you find it offensive. And then that person says to you, I did not mean it in that way. I had no intentions of hurting you, or of offending you, and had no idea that it would land on you in that way. Love says, I believe you. I believe you. Love does not impute evil thoughts or motives toward others. Love hopes all things. In other words, love is hopeful. Love is hopeful that our marriage will improve. Love is hopeful our children will improve. Love is hopeful things will get better. Love does not easily give up on God, and love doesn't easily give up on people. Love does not easily write people off because love is dying to self. Love says it's not about me. It's about you and not giving up on you. So then how do we die to self so that we might love? Because that's what this passage is calling us to. This passage is calling us to die to ourselves so that we might truly love as God loves, as Christ loves, so that we might love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. See, that right there, we struggle to fully love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, because we just can't completely die to ourselves. We struggle to love others because we struggle to die to ourselves. So what do we do about this? Well, quite simply, we kill ourselves. Not physically, of course, but we pray and we work at killing the old self. Killing the old sin nature strangling our old self I'll end with this quote from John Owen's excellent book The Mortification of Sin he's a 17th century Puritan if you've not read that book I highly highly recommend it The Mortification of Sin the Puritans were just so great at cutting to the heart of spiritual matters and John Owens wrote this Do you mortify, meaning do you kill your sin? Do you kill your sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you want to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul, and if you want to love people as God loves people, you have to die to yourself. The more you can die to yourself, the more you will love God in a way that brings him glory and honor and praise. The more you can die to yourself, The more you will love your children, your spouse, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, your extended family members. This coming Thanksgiving is a great opportunity to die to self as we find ourselves gathered around family. The more we can die to ourselves, the more we can truly love as God wants to see love in us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father. Lord, this is a weighty, weighty passage and message. I am still feeling the weight of it, even from preparing it this week, spending time in your word and looking at all of the many, many verses that talk about love and how important it is to you and how important it is to see it in your people. But Father, we pray that you would never allow us to come out from underneath the weight of this text. Father, we pray, I pray, Lord, for myself and for everyone Every believer in this room, I pray that we would not only feel the weight of this text, but I pray that the weight of this text would get heavier and heavier and heavier and would ultimately crush our old self. Would crush our pride, our old sin nature. Lord, help us to die to ourself so we can fully love you as you desire for us to love you so we can fully love other people as you desire for us to love other people. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.